Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bukalu. I'm your host, Anthony. This week, John and David from the Lorehounds have stopped by to help me cover Theon's first POV chapter. A couple weeks ago, I got an email from my friend Heather who said, I do not envy the person you bring on to cover this chapter because it's super gross. And it is. It is very gross. Theon's kind of a gross guy. Let's just call that out. Theon is kind of a gross guy. But my guests today are not gross guys. They're actually perfect gentlemen, and they're great podcasters, and my favorite of their podcasts is their coverage of the Silmarillion, and I'm hoping to join them on one of those chapters coming up soon. Okay, without further ado, here's Bosmang Aaron. Ask Aaron anything! Megan says, um, as I watched more of the first season of House of Dragon, I found myself got, getting very irritated at the sheer power that Damon could be wielding and is not. He could be climbing that damn ladder better than Littlefinger, and instead he's fucking around with his brother. I get it. He's resentful mm-hmm. because his brother has the throne and he's no longer the heir apparent. Great. He can marry her before all uh, this next male heir and or wedding talk and see himself squarely as a cunning element in the small council, impress everyone with his ruling ability and ultimately convince old Viserys to retire the family jewels, knowing that both of the natural heirs will be married and produce offspring together. Strong leadership from Damon at this point could sway those in power to see him as the rightful successor with the cock, and Rhaenyra as the official blood of Viserys. At the start of the show, he literally has it all in his hands, and instead he plays stupid games and steals eggs and tries to wed his whore and claim she's pregnant, and ultimately diluting Mm -hmm. the Targaryen's blood. It's grating thinking about how brutal the things in Game of Thrones got, how bad life can be, only for the Targaryen to be painfully aware of how great they have uh, life. In fact, there's hundreds of different plays he could make that make a ton more sense than just fucking around, like marrying his cousin Rhaenys pre-Valerian, marrying their daughter, or just having an obscene amount of Targaryen children to interbreed with the current players. Having kids that were married to Rhaenyra, the Valerian kids. Uh, I mean, at this point, he could have had a kid that he marries off to Alicent Hightower. But he's just stumbling through the game, which produces the end of their line. Ugh. Um, I think Damon's supposed to be a frustrating character. Like, he's su- uh, yeah. supposed to be a failure of realized potential. I think that this is... I, I don't think I've ever disagreed with feedback more than this, Megan. Uh-oh. And I'm sure you're a, you're a very fine person. But this is baked into being a second son. Baked into being a second son is that... You resent your older brother. You think that you could do it better than the older brother. You live your whole life in the shadow of your older brother. And you kind of love that guy. And that creates this inner conflict. And I think that Damon Targaryen is more interesting 
because he actually loves his older brother. Mm-hmm. Not less interesting. Uh, that's my take on it. Yeah, and like the uh, everything you said about Second Sons is like when you talk about in the line of kingship, it's like super Second Son because like yeah, it, it probably sucks to be a Second Son of a of a mm-hmm. you know a Manderly or you know uh the, the Royce or something like that where it's like in your you know you're talking about climbing to the top of a minor house. Mm-hmm. And and also ran region of the 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 of Westeros, but like you're so close to the throne that yeah, you know a, a, a case of infertility and a and a bad war wound can put you on it. But ah, yeah, it must it must be really frustrating. And the other thing is you got to understand that like you know Damon and Viserys went through a lot. You know they 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 lost their father at a, a, at, a at an age where it's big impact uh, on them. You mm-hmm. know. Um, they grew up in the shadow of this great man, Jaharis. Um, a lot of big shoes to fill. And I think his kind of, like you say, fucking around, his acting out, it's frustrating and annoying, but I think it's intended to be that. And it's 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 real. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that Damon actually wants to be on the Iron Throne? Or do you kind of think that he loves the battlefield too much? Or he loves action too much? Or he loves being the rogue prince too much. I that think... That he kind of aspires for it, but he he almost doesn't... He wouldn't know what to do with it if he actually... Yeah, it's it. like what the Joker says. I'm like a mad dog that find you know, like, is chasing cars. Like, I wouldn't know what to do with yeah. one if I caught it. And I think that's, like, Damon likes being able to sulk about not being king. And, like, if I were king, things would be different. But, like, I think he's smart enough to know if he got on the Iron Throne, it'd probably be a materially worse condition for him in his life. You know, like he couldn't get away with the things he could do. And um, yeah, it's like Bobby B is like he's Bobby B's miserable on the right. Iron Throne. Because the same thing is like when you uh, see Damon talking to Rhaenyra, he knows better. Like he knows a lot of the political things. He knows the importance of the small folk. He knows. You know, he he could probably do a lot better than he's doing, you know, because he wasn't raised by mm-hmm. fools and he had a lot of good examples. It's just that he decides to let his worst nature take over. And again, it's super frustrating. But if you've ever had family yeah. members, if you had a brother or sister that, you know, fucks around and messes with, you know, drugs and alcohol instead of doing the, you know, and gives you it's like it it happens and it's super frustrating. Uh, and, you know, they. But but the the question is like could he do like could Damon just consciously decide I'm gonna do better? I don't know because I I do feel like people are kind of like, um, you know they 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 they're, they're a, a lot of their like starting conditions and the, the life impacts and the genetics kind of go together and I and I don't know I don't I don't I don't think a lot of people have that kind of like conscious choice over the direction of their lives. Um, I don't think that Damon enjoys being thought of as a ne'er-do-well i think that he would he would like more respect he would like people to look at him and think he would make a fantastic king Mm -hmm. but i don't think he actually thinks he will enjoy it i agree with that i don't think he would enjoy being the king and i think he is the one of the reasons he's never tried to make a overt play for it is that he probably knows it would be it, it wouldn't be fun hmm Megan, no hard feelings. All right. This is from Zorin. When we finally meet the Lord of Storm's End, Boros Baratheon, 
I was a bit disappointed that it wasn't Mark Addy who played Bobby B. Having the same actor play both Ancestor and Progeny would have been a nice bit of fan service. After all, the family resemblance for the Baratheons is said to be strong indeed. The original series wasn't shy about stunt casting from time to time. Uh, he cites the actors who played Ilan Payne and whoever Ed Sheeran played. Uh, is there an actor from the original series that could also work in House of the Dragon? What do you think? Hmm. Let me just say, I think it's a great idea. I If it was Mark Addy on the throne when you walked into Storm's End... Uh, that would have been, it would have been fun. I think that, you know, give him a different beard, you know, give him a a slightly different look about him. Right. Uh, I would absolutely believe that, that the Baratheons share a strong family resemblance. Yeah, the seed, the seed is strong. I I was trying to think, um, I would like to see Rory McCann, um, because man, I, I, I've recently got on TikTok, and, uh, you know, it, it learns your proclivities pretty quickly and it started showing me a steady dose of like the most awesome scenes of Sandor Clegane when he's going to eat every chicken in the room, sure. uh, when he's wanting to personally kill the, 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 the bandits that, uh, that, 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 that killed his, his mentor, um, uh-huh. and they won't let him because they, they, the brotherhoods of that banner want to do justice themselves. And, uh, there, I, there, there's just like, he's just got so many great lines, uh, when he, tr- you know, takes on Brienne to, to try to save our, there's just, he's got so much. And I'm trying to think it's like, there's lots of canonically big men like Harwin yeah. Breakbones, you know? Uh, yeah. Why not recast? Rory for Harwin. I mean, I guess I he's did, too I old. Enjoy the he's actor. too old for that. Yeah. But I also thought it might be fun because, like, there is um, there's some just suggestions that like Brienne might have the blood of Dunk, oh, Sir Duncan yes. the Tall in her. Yeah, yeah. But like Sir Duncan the Tall happens like a century after this, and Brienne's a century after that. But like, could you put Gwendolyn Christie in like you know some some Tarth? Uh, or it'd be really funny to like gender bend her. And make her like Lord of Tarth, and like you know, just put her in like a That'd blonde be beard, and you know, she's just tall, and she's got just the chain armor, and and you know, uh, uh-huh. and it's like, oh wow, you can, you know, like it might have skipped a few generations, but I can see where it came from, kind of thing. I that 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 might be fun, but you know, I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised that they've never used George for like a minor part. Yeah, like someone's like someone's uncle who doesn't have a lot of lines. I, th- I make a hell of a maester too. I think something like that. I, I think that there's has he never. A you're, I think you're here. right. He's never been any like not even like, or he'd be good like feasting at a table with ale running through his beard, dripping grease dripping out his beard. Have to like give they always any lines. Books, you know, he can yeah. he can show us how to drip grease with the best of them. Uh, yeah, that would be the, that'd be because honestly, as fun as this is, I also think there's a chance that like anytime you talk about fan service, you're also um, flirting with cringe. I think so. It, it's, it's a delicate dance. It. It's a delicate yep. dance. Yep. I think you're right. It's probably yeah, it's probably a safer place to stay away from it, but if you were going to do it, it would have to be a minor part. Yeah, right? I think so. Okay. Well, that's all I have for feedback. And so if you have feedback that you would like read, book at baldmove.com.
Thanks for having me back. What on. do you have coming up? I appreciate it. Yeah, what what do you got coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks? Oh here? man, we are yeah. about to uh, get extremely busy. We're right now in the in the throes of The Last of Us, um, the aforementioned fungal zombie sh- apocalypse show on HBO, mm-hmm. uh, season three of Picard, which is a trash fire show, but it's bringing back all of the cast from the Next Generation. So me really? and Jim are. Yeah like us being called like a siren to the rocks we're gonna have to this this show doesn't get any traffic for us uh but it's a fun little community and, and we have fun kind of ripping on the show and maybe it'll be good this year who knows uh we got the okay. yellow jackets coming out uh, pretty soon after that that's this um uh, very creepy uh mis- mystery kind of lost intrigue type show that's on um uh showtime uh, I know I'm forgetting something else that's coming back to. Oh, and then the Mandalorian will be coming back in March. So like we've got like yes. and they're all kind of overlapping and interweaving with each other. But uh, we're going to we're going to try to roll with the onslaught. If you have a question for Aaron or Anthony, you can send those to book at baldmove.com. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain. Featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sanada from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. How you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, d- do you even know what it's like out there? N- no, n- not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne in the cell phones, that kind of thing. W- what is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are, too. We're preparing to once again recommission the Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. 
Find our coverage for the ones who live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, it's a very special occasion for Electric Boogaloo. I'm welcoming John and David of Lorehound fame. John and David, thank you for jumping on the podcast with me. Thanks for inviting us. We feel pretty special to be here. <laughs> Bukaloo's been, uh, you know, a, a, a shite. A, Bukaloo's been a bright and shining star in the bald move constellation for a while. So <laughs> I like that you accidentally went to the old Scottish shite. <laughs> Which is good for this particular chapter. I, I think I might have brought you on for the grossest chapter of the of the entire series. <laughs> well, maybe not the entire series, but so far in the books, Theon Greyjoy is uh he's he's not putting his best foot forward, let's just say. No. He's not. Nope. So let's talk about your relationship with this book. My impression is that one of you was sort of a show only guy till recently, and one of you sort of has a deep abiding love for the books. Is that right? John is more of the book hound. Um, I've read all the books, um, but I read them quickly, and I don't remember mm. if they were concurrently when I watched the show, because I remember I didn't know anything about the show. And then I was house-sitting for some friends. I'd been uh, been abroad for a while, and I'd just come back and was house-sitting for some friends, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what was going on in the world of television. And I stumbled across, I was like, oh, HBO, what are the, you know, there's got to be something yeah. going on. And I found this thing, and like, uh, you know, whatever it is, 14 or 15 hours later, I awoke from a deep stupor <laughs> going, what did I just watch? <laughs> Give me more. So, David, you watched the show before you read the books, right? Yes. Yeah. And then I picked up the books along the way somewhere and, and yeah. read them quickly and just devoured them. Yeah. And, and I did. That was kind them. of my, like, I, I read the first, I watched the first season before I had re- read any books. What about you, John? I did the same thing. I, I don't know if the, what season I was at when I read the books, but I mm-hmm. definitely started the show first i actually i was at a friend's house and they were watching game of thrones they said oh you haven't watched this are you worried of spoilers i was like i'm never gonna watch this yeah and uh they put the red wedding on and uh that was the first thing (laughs) i ever saw of game of thrones (laughs) that's awesome that was your first episode that was the first one and i was like well that was a lot but uh (laughs) no I, i i didn't remember it so i went back eventually and i watched it and i got to that scene and i suddenly recognized what was happening and I went, oh, no. <laughs> it was like a slow motion thing. Yeah. But yeah. So I was I was a huge fan. I uh, I, I bought your book back in the day. Um, yeah, and, I did. Too. Uh, yeah. So I, I was a huge fan. I was like, I can't get enough of it. I was writing into bald move every week. And then season eight came out and I went fan bankrupt. <laughs> oh, no. Threw me into the arms of J.R. Bankruptcy, huh? All right. It's true. It drove me, drove me into the arms of Tolkien, uh-huh. and that's how we ended up lore hounding. Oh, um, that's your origin story. That's great. It really is. The nice. the failure of Game of Thrones season eight writing uh-huh. was really my origin story, if you will. Oh, very Lord. nice. Oh, very nice, sir. Very well done. Um, all right. So let me read the synopsis of this chapter. Theon Greyjoy sails at last to his childhood home. After ruining the life of the captain's daughter, he's met by his uncle Aaron at Lord's Port. Aaron, now a priest of the Drowned God, baptizes him and belittles his claim as heir. Theon arrives to the Bloody Keep to a chilly reception, dresses, 
and then meets his father in his solar. Balon Greyjoy accuses his only remaining son of dressing like a whore, slaps him when he talks back, and mocks his relationship with the Starks. Balon is insulted further by Rob's letter. The Lord Reaper will not be given a crown. He intends to take it instead. So, Lorehounds, what do you bring to the table today? One thing that I thought was really interesting that I think this whole chapter did was sort of give you this dissonance between the misogyny that Theon really leans into on the boat and that, you know, is kind of casual on the island and the island's ability to sort of look realistically at having a female ruler, at having Asha be the heir. That is really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because he is... I mean, you you couldn't create a more misogynistic character than this. <laughs> I know, guy. I know. Yeah, he doesn't. I don't even think he knows the name of the captain's daughter. He basically he he's on this ship for what a day? I I don't even. Is it even more than half a day? I don't even know how long it's been. I guess it's been from Old Town to to the Iron Islands. So that might be a couple days. But where do I think he got in in like Sea Guard? Yeah, somewhere something like, like that? that. He takes the yeah. captain's chambers. Yeah. Deflowers his daughter, ruins her life because now her father is going to treat her horribly. She says so much. Probably sired a bastard. The, the the girl is willing to just sort of hang around as his concubine, and he's just, he casts her off. And at the end of it, we don't even hear her name. Like, we don't even know this person's name. And he, he refers to Catelyn as the wife or the mother doesn't name her. Uh, he just, this guy has almost zero respect or zero acknowledgement for women in power. Uh, and then he arrives to find out that maybe his sister has a better claim as heir than he does. Kind of an interesting twist on the prodigal son, right? Oh, say, say more about that. Well, um, here he is coming back thinking that he is going to be his father's heir. Uh He's been, um, he's warred, he's gone to battle, he's learned the ways of the court, he's been educated. Yeah, he's painted himself Um, with with glory, right? Yeah, and he's ready to, you know, take up his his father's mantle. But instead the father... Instead of like welcoming him with open arms, the father backhands him. Yeah, slaps him and says, "Your sister is more of a man than you are." Basically, exactly. <laughs> oh man! Oh goodness! So yeah, it kind of takes the prodigal son story huh, and, and turns like it upside that. down. A I little like bit. that. Were either of you kind of a little bit taken aback that, like, wait a second, Aaron Dampere is meeting Theon at the dock? Like, I what happened to? Asha Yara. I, I thought she was going to meet Theon. Or was it sort of like, no, I kind of remember that this is how the book went. I mostly remembered. Well, I don't know, because I haven't read the books in a few years. I knew that it was different. I knew that the whole weird horse scene didn't happen. Um, yeah, that was a but little I, odd. Yeah, it was odd. The show added a lot of stuff like that. That was like, I wonder why you added that, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, I thought that this was good. I, I really enjoyed the way he was welcomed i was as i was reading it i was like if i'm gonna pick a movie scene that has the same vibe of this chapter it's joe pesci thinking he's a made man and then going in and going oh, oh nice shit <laughs> yeah that, you got it you nailed Good it call. that's it yeah theon is i now i i apologize i say theon because 
That's right. We say uh, 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 Galadriel. Okay. What do we call her? <laughs> We've cured ourselves, though. We're so better now. So I know a lot of people say Theon, and I think that that is the correct pronunciation. For some reason, when I yeah. see his name, I see it in Greek font because I teach Greek. And the way that you – it looks exactly like the, the word for God in the accusative form. Interesting. And okay. I cannot cure myself of that. So I will probably say Theon – over and over and over. I know it's Theon. Don't write in and tell me that I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. I, I know that I am. <laughs> so anyway, I did. I almost think that having Aaron, the priest, uh, meet him at the dock was a really effective way to show how precarious Theon's claim to his father's seat is. Uh-huh. Because if it was Asha Yara there, you know, who's going to sort of trust her on her own prospects? But to hear, like, the chief priest of the entire culture and your uncle kind of throw a little bit of shade on you and say your sister yeah. still lives, yeah. that absolutely gives legitimacy to Theon's sister. Yeah. It's interesting because I kind of took it all in a bit more of a utilitarian fashion. I just felt this whole chapter was very um, utility driven. Hmm. Um, not to, there's other things I liked about it. I love some of uh, the environmental descriptions and some of the writing. Um, I've even got a quote that I really enjoyed. Hmm. Um, but I thought it was a good and effective way of introducing us to the drown God, to the phrase, uh, what is dead may never die. Yeah. And so I felt like, oh, this is good. I'm like, you know, retrospectively reading the chapter in preparation for this podcast, I was like, oh, wow, I can see what he's doing here in the world building and then having his uncle be there, which is a – it's a slight, right? Because he's not getting the pomp and circumstance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But is his uncle also checking him out a little bit or is he, you know um, – but just from the utility factor of of introducing us to the Iron Iron's culture and religion, I thought that was uh, – um, effective vehicle. Yeah. Right. I mean, the other thing that I thought that it did well here was, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm a little hazy on my Westeros lore, but the Greyjoys were installed by one of the Conquerors, right? By either Aegon or by uh, Robert. So the hereditary nature of the leadership of the Iron Isles is a relatively new thing to this culture, right? Well, new in the sense that the culture is like 5,000 years old, and Aegon <laughs> conquered, you know, Westeros 300 years ago, right? So, yeah, yeah, the whole the whole Heron the Black episode kind of shifted, I guess you could say, the leadership of the Iron Islands. But I do get the sense that the Greyjoys are, they don't view themselves as newcomers. They view themselves as sort of wanting to keep the old way as much as possible. Sure. That was another thing that came through really in the in the chapter two is this old versus new. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, Johnny, you know, keep going on your point. Well, I was just thinking, like, I kind of got the sense from this that, like, it's not like Westeros where they expect the son to inherit no matter what. It is very much more a culture where they are slightly more meritocracy-ish mm, with yeah, their leadership. So. And I think that that comes across with the way that Theon is welcomed right because of course you know even though there hasn't been sort of a king's moot in a while there's at least precedent for something like that 
it's odd because they're they're clinging to these old ways, but that's the one that they let go of. And and I know that later they bring it back, but it's I think it sort of foreshadows that too really well. And that goes into the whole thing of paying the iron price. Right. Right. If you if you're gonna be uh head of this, you know, group of people, then you need to you don't just by um dint of bloodline mm-hmm. get to be the boss. You've got to make sure that you can hold your own and then some. And right. uh be it a king's mood or just being a good reaver or whatever, you've gotta be constantly demonstrating your um strength. Yeah, I got the sense with this that like Martin was trying to kind of tell you how old and I guess almost archaic the Ironborn culture is. In other words, like, you know, their their words don't even really make sense anymore. We we do not sow. Because of course, you know, from Theon's perspective, they do sow now. They they have a little, you know, they they, they have little farms. As as yep. you know, they're they're not they're not getting rich off these farms, but they they're no longer allowed to just raid Westeros for what they need anymore. They don't do salt wives and rock wives anymore. That has changed. Um, you know, it's not like the, the 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 Lord Reaper is is a king; he's just a lord. So there's a lot of ways in which this culture has changed over time. But you almost get the sense that. It's a little bit about like people clinging into the Confederacy. It's like the this is an occupied people. And so they're living more in the past, in the glory days of the past than they are th- things in the in the present are just very bleak for the Greyjoys. I think too this makes an interesting point of of Theon's returning because he's returning having been a ward of the Starks who were Robert Baratheon's you know, right hands mm-hmm. in terms of, um, you know, uh, uh, Robert's Rebellion and, and all of that and conquering and subduing the Iron Islands. And there's some battle descriptions in this chapter, which are kind of cool, again, for a world building uh, standpoint. But you can really tell Balon's animus towards the Starks through his son and he, mm-hmm. the way he treats his son and the way that he's suspect. Did you pay the iron price for that necklace? Yeah. You know, I won't have my my son. You know, uh, you know, parading around like a whore. Yeah, you know, right. and Theon like dresses in finery and does all this stuff. And you know, he's coming in with sort of these new ways. Oh, you know, I'm Rob's my friend, and and we're gonna like you know do all this cool stuff. And Balon's like, the hell we are because it was the Starks and and the Baratheons who took our culture from us. Mm-hmm. And now you're showing up here with the smell and the look of those people. Yeah, Balon's um, really insult. The thing that hurts him most is when he says that Rob looks at me like an older brother. Yeah, and he's like, Ooh, "You will not off. name him brother." That's the guy. That's the guy. That's the son of the guy who killed your true brother. Yeah. If the Stark boy sends you to me like a trained raven, clutching his message, the offer he makes is one I proposed. He heeds your counsel. I've lived with him, hunted with him, fought at his side. He thinks of me as a brother. No, not here, not in my hearing. You will not name him brother. This son of the man who put your true brothers to the sword, or have you forgotten your own blood? And you kind of sympathize with Balon there, right? Like, I mean, these were people who, you know, if we're going to paint the Greyjoys in the best light, like the Greyjoys and the Iron Isles just wanted to do their own thing. 
they weren't even at that point looking to conquer things, right? They were just looking to be an independent nation. Mm -hmm. And for that, for daring to want to be independent, the Starks and the Baratheons came in, invaded their land, killed his sons, and took his other son as a, a kidnapped hostage. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty rough. I mean, like, I would probably hate that person, too. It's pretty rough. I mean, you look at it from Robert's perspective and you think, well, these guys don't, they don't want to contribute. They just want to take. We, yeah. we, either we wipe them out or we subdue them. I think that those are the only options for the king of Westeros. Because that guy, that island is only, it's only resources Westeros. So it's either going to be a part of that culture or... It's going to be the enemy of that culture. There's no mm. other way around it. But absolutely, you're right. If, if from the from the Greyjoy perspective, you're in occupied territory. You've been castrated. You've been demoralized. Well, uh, someone will get castrated. I don't know if it's Balon, but <laughs> <laughs> let me just throw this at you both. Do you think that Martin knows at this point that he what he's going to do to poor Theon? Oh, because I don't know. Has he has he gardened? Did he did he find some kind of <laughs> stake for his garden to, uh -huh, to uh -huh. chop it off? I don't know. I don't know. Did yeah? Did, I, did he was he gardening and he found an old pair of rusty pruning shears in the garden? <laughs> because it uh, it really does set him up as um, this is a guy who kind of lives by his cock, like he thinks with his cock, and he's like all cock all the time, you know. And in the same way that sort of Jamie Lannister is his right hand, mm -hmm. Theon is his manhood, right? So mm -hmm. right. I do get a sense that, like, if if Martin knows, boy, he's setting this up perfectly, because you almost want something horrible to happen to Theon after this, right? Yeah, but he kind of. I, I would I wouldn't doubt that he's got the Winterfell stuff figured out, right? Like mm -hmm. the that he's gonna go there and and be responsible for, you know, some horrible stuff that you know, to you know, to to uh, visit some horrors on the Stark family yeah, yeah, and the yeah. kids, right? I don't know if we go so far as the whole Reek situation. I don't know if he's got, you know, that plotted out. Um but isn't it and again, this is where I, you know, between the books and the show, my brain gets a little muddy on that far out. But isn't Theon in some ways a kind of a Smeagol uh, <laughs> like character? Rake, rake, it rhymes with make. <laughs> yeah, you know, for the sake of right, because he sa he saves Sansa right in the end. Well, in the books, it's not Sansa; it's Sansa's best friend. Oh, okay. Jane, so I don't, yeah, Jane something Poole, I don't recall. Right. Okay. But but it's it's almost the same storyline. It, it just you know they they basically conflated those characters. Okay. But he does you know he does arc a little bit toward redemption toward the end of of yeah. the last book, um, or the last published book. I wonder because I wonder if he has that in mind. He we've already met a couple people in this book so far, who have lost hands they like they, they've lost their like they've been dismembered mm -hmm. and in in a previous chapter we had Tyrion kind of making fun of Varys for being dismembered I wonder if Martin has thought that far I wonder if he's thinking I know what I'm gonna do <laughs> yeah well this is this is too where like this 
on the one hand, there are some really wonderful writing and descriptive writing. Uh-huh. And then on the other hand, there's a sex scene that I just don't need the details of it. <laughs> it's right. It's like, really gross. okay, say it is, it's gross <laughs> old man stuff. And if he's like making fun of cripples and dismembered people and, you know, this, this kind of thing, it's like, this is where Martin sort of skirts this line of like, okay, gross old man, like, right. you know, keep us keep us in the story here. We don't need these <laughs> strange well, tangents of your mind. You have this thing where people say like, oh, well, it's not the author saying that. It's the character. And yeah. sure, that goes for a while. But then like, if you go so long without hearing pushback to that, <laughs> then it gets a little hard to defend it. But I guess... You know, maybe Martin had in mind here that he's going to take Theon down a peg. I don't know if he had a literal interpretation of that in mind. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that he knew that he was going to have him have a fall from grace at this point. I feel like um, I, I just noted that there's this this kind of throwaway statement about the history behind the bloody keep. Mm. And I'll talk mm-hmm. about that in just a minute. But I do sometimes feel like. If you look at Martin's chapters and you find the like the worst, darkest thing that happened in that chapter, chances are that's the part that he got from actual history. Wow. Right. Interesting. So, like, for instance, he, they're talking about the story of the Bloody Keep, and it's like a thousand years ago, you know, the sons of the River King were killed in their beds in this keep. And I noted, like, I had on a Scottish historian a while back, and he was telling me that the Red Wedding was modeled in part after the Glencoe massacre. And basically that's, you know, the Campbells were like under the roof of their hosts. And as they were sleeping, uh, the Campbells woke up and killed like 38 McDonald's. And then when the rest of them fled, they, they chased him after him and they killed him in the snow. And it's like, that's just kind of like a throwaway line in the middle of this chapter and that sounds kind of, you know, murderous and 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 dark. And yet that's the part from the that's the one part from this chapter that is <laughs> right. that, that has a, a yeah. has an analog in history. I, I wonder if you could say the same thing for Theon and, and this woman he's done dirty to. I wonder if this is how High Lords treated commoners back in the day. And it, it really does bring you to this this sense of the disparity between someone of Theon's social status sure, and everyone else in this world. Everyone else in this world is garbage to be discarded once you're done with them. Right. The small folk, yeah. I don't think that every lord feels that way. I don't think that all, all the high-born in Westeros feel that way. I think that Theon, maybe because he... I, I think that we are seeing a person who feels entitled yeah. to a place at the table and who has such a fragile ego yeah, yeah. that all it takes is his dad going, well, you're dressed too pretty. <laughs> and he just folds and immediately is ready to give up on like all the bonds he's ever made. Are you guys succession fans? No, we're not. Neither of us. Either. Neither one yeah. of you are succession fans? I was just thinking. I've never seen an episode. So. This, the, Theon, it would be the kind of guy that would absolutely be on that show. Mm-hmm. They, they're On that show, there's this... This phrase that they use, you know, this is basically a billionaire family. There's this phrase that they use, like, not a real person. And basically, they use not a real person for anyone who's not, has political or monetary value. 
has any kind of power. Yeah, like like the serving class. Like you yeah. you you and me, we're not real people. And right. so our lives are are garbage. And I do get the sense that Theon is that that kind of guy. It's like there are people in this world that can do things for me. And there are other people who can't really do much for me. And and when I'm done with them, I treat them like garbage. So does this then point to another failure of Ned Stark that he didn't properly educate his ward? Like give give his ward a, a good moral center from which to live his life from? I don't know about that because if I could push back on that, like please, Jon Snow was also treated like shit growing up yeah, and point. raised by the same family and did not turn out this way. So I think that this was maybe something that he learned from, you know, but, but what was he like 10 or 11 years old when he got uh, made a ward. So yeah. I guess it, 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 he could have picked it up in his early childhood. It's well, not like you don't learn things. Yeah. You got to get, get a sense in this chapter that, he says at one point, he says, every now and again, Ned would try to play the father with him. Mm-hmm. Mm. But most of the time, he knew he was a hostage, and everyone else knew he was a hostage. And he always felt like that. And so I think I think it could both things could be true. I think Ned probably treated him like a hostage most of the time, mm-hmm. or a war, you know, at the at the very best, a ward, but never a son. And on top of that, I think you could kind of point to like fans' own responsibility of this. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you do your best as a parent, and doesn't it doesn't work out, work out right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But but here's I, I'm still gonna argue the point a little bit, which is, wouldn't you be smart in some ways strategically? to curry this person who is going to eventually go back in their adulthood to somewhere else. And wouldn't that be sort of a, a smart thing to create some bonds that are more positive than negative? I mean, certainly Rob treats Theon, you know, Theon has a good mm-hmm. estimation of Rob and is willing to be his envoy mm-hmm. in, in, in a bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly Theon doesn't have a moral center of like I'm a noble, I need to treat people, the small folk, a certain way, um, and he doesn't. He he uses and abuses his authority and power. I don't know if Ned ever thinks that Theon's going home. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. I I think I mean a lot of the times that these hostage arrangements were su- such that we we're going to keep this person as long as we need to. Oh wow! Uh, okay, and to, to guarantee your good behavior, and unless it's like specified in the contract, we're gonna we're gonna keep this person for this many years and return him at this time, and at which ca- at which time you're then gonna give us a different hostage or something like that. Okay. I don't know the arrangements here. I don't know, but I honestly I'm not sure if Ned has given any thought to this guy being act- the actual heir to the Iron Islands. Right, he's just holding the. He's using Theon as a pawn, mm-hmm. holding holding the Iron Islands in check. Here's the other thing about Ned is that he is, you know, he talks a good game, but right, but but by the by the sort of the common wisdom 
of everyone in Winterfell, he he actually sired a bastard. And so why wouldn't Theon think that that would be his right as well? Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think a- around more of Ned here to see if we can um, pick apart his character <laughs> flaws. Well, I mean, if you have Theon being this person who's ready to discard people he sees as lesser, maybe that's because he feels like he was seen as lesser by Ned Stark. You know, I mean, and sure. and he was like he he certainly was like hurt Ned people hurt people. Ned and the rest of the Northerners are very like the North remembers, you know, uh, mm. you know, they're they have Confederate flags up, like you said. Um, but no, they're they're very like into this like old North blood. Yeah, we're the yeah, first yeah. men, this and that. And like you have this guy over here and you're like, oh, yeah. And there's this guy who he doesn't even want to be here. He should. He's just a token. He's just we just keep him here so that Balon doesn't mess with us. Here's one other thing that I noticed in this chapter that I liked is that from Theon's perspective, Jon Snow was always of higher stature than he was. Mm. Now, even though he was a little bit older and not a bastard. Yeah, from yeah, from from Theon's perspective, uh Jon Snow was more welcome at Winterfell than he was. Now, that could just be a sort of a distorted view of his place. But if you look at Jon Snow's POVs, he doesn't give a second thought to Theon. If Theon's mm, not, not in in the actual same space as Jon, he doesn't even give a, a second. He doesn't pine about Theon. He doesn't think about, like, he, he has no sort of fond memories of Theon. Doesn't, it, it's not, he doesn't even register as a person to Jon Snow. So I think we do give Jon Snow, like, a lot of leeway because, you know, how hard it would have been to grow up as a bastard at Winterfell. I think that Theon should probably get a little of that sympathy as well. You know, maybe John was even of higher social standing. Yeah, that could be. I mean, Catelyn certainly treated John terribly growing up, but it doesn't seem like Catelyn liked Theon that much either. If you no. see like how hesitant she is, how much she wants to discourage Rob from sending him. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like she had a good relationship with either of these people. You know, if Catelyn Stark were like 10% nicer to the people who weren't, her, her born <laughs> kids. Like the the plot of this book would just be over. <laughs> well, I was just gonna praise Catelyn. I was thinking, well, she she was proven right. She she did she told Rob, do not let him go back to the Iron Islands. He absolutely should have heeded her advice. She he should not have let Theon go back. Well, maybe maybe instead of um pointing fingers at Ned and his failings, we should be pointing our fingers at Caitlin. Yeah. Catelyn. Even so, I mean, it's is there okay? So this is a good question. Um, is there anything that the Starks could have done to change the way that Balon would have received him? Because mm. my my view is that Theon could have done everything right and come with it the best of intentions and been a perfect angel on the boat over and not expected a warm welcome. And not worn the golden chain. If he had done everything right, do you think Balon would have treated him every any differently? I, I don't think he would have. I think he, if he had shown up in a longboat that he had stolen himself and cut the throats <laughs> of you point. know the the captain, the blood is smeared on his face, and he's just you know. yeah. Then I think he's. I think Balon would have been like, okay, now we're talking. Now that's my son. But and, anything else, a perfumed, dressed mm, up courtier looking like guy. Uh, yeah, I no, wonder. No I wonder if if he shown up in the way that you've just mentioned. I think that that might have been respected more. 
I think that these Ironborn are suspicious by nature. I think that I think that they might think this guy has become a wolf. He's been mm-hmm. he's been with the wolves too long. When I look at him, I kind of I, I can't help but remember my defeat to the hands of Ned oh Stark, totally you know completely. Which is why at the end he says, "You're not going to Casterly Rock." You know, you've got another destination. I'm sending you somewhere else. Right. Which yeah. is like, right, I'm, I'm going to spit right back in the eye of the Starks by sending, you know, my war, you know, their ward, my son, back to uh, stab him in the heart. That's right. That's right. And that's a good leader for that expedition. Like, he's going to know the ins and outs of that town, yeah. that city. Um, one thing I'll say is maybe if Rob went with Theon and really leveled with Balon. There's a slight chance he has a better time and and mm. because he's like treating Balon as an equal. Mm. But even then, I think that Balon just has too much hatred for the Starks. And I, I it's still not a guarantee. Completely. Win. Well, let me Give ask me you a this. crown. Give me a crown. I'm going to take my <laughs> yeah, crown. Exactly. I mean, like that just th- flies in the face of Iron Iron culture uh, or Iron Islands uh-huh. culture. Right. Oh, OK. So. At the end of this chapter, basically, Balon says. We're going to war. We're not going to be anyone's ally. I'm going to take what's mine and screw the Starks, basically, right? Yeah. If you are Theon, and this is your father and your heir to the Iron Islands, or at least you think you are, and yet you've been raised with the Starks and and your best friend is ba- – you basically just proclaimed your best friend King of the North – what do you do? What, what you're 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 kind of at a moral fork. Which road do you take, John? Oh, you're gonna throw that to me? <laughs> yeah, oh, first I'll, I'll answer, but I just thought I'd give you uh, <laughs> an opportunity to lead. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough choice. I mean, I wouldn't do what he did for sure. I wouldn't go burning kids and stuff like that. Um, I guess the most moral thing he could do is be like. Hey, Rob, my uncle's coming. I'll do my best to hold them off. But at the same time, he's betraying his whole family there. You either betray your family or you don't. It's it, Martin is kind of brilliant at this. We talked about his writing. Yeah, he is. He's put Theon in an impossible position. Impossible. Either he yep. betrays his best friend and the family that raised him, or he betrays his biological family. There's no middle ground here, right? What does he do? I mean, he is in line, right? You know, between him and his sister to being, uh, you know, the leader of the the Iron Islands, yeah. regardless of his leadership qualities, just by, you know, uh, dint of bloodline. Um, so where does he go if he doesn't go there? The, the Starks aren't necessarily going to have him back. The the kingdom. Oh, no, about, the Starks you know, could go to the, war. The Starks would take him back if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. If Rob, Rob would take him he back. Would go, he could go back to Rob and said, I'm loyal to you. I'm going to be your man. I've forsaken Pike entirely. They won't have me back anyway. I think Rob would take him back, right? But then when we look at somebody like Jamie, you know, the Kingslayer, or, you know, if you're a bastard, like you never live that stuff down. Yeah. People are always going to give you the side eye. I think that, I think being known as... As a traitor to your own family, I think you wear that. I think that 
no mm. matter what happens for the rest That's of your life, you kind of wear that. Like, how, yeah, how do hard. we know that you can be loyal to to us if yes, you weren't even loyal yeah, to exactly. your own father? I, I think he, I think he's going to have consequences no matter what. But I absolutely think that he's going to have Rob's. He's going to have a seat at Rob's table always. As long as Rob is alive yeah, yeah, yeah. and in power. Yeah. <laughs> no, which isn't very long. Right? <laughs> no. That's a good point. He, uh, Yeah, he either does what he does or he dies at the Red Wedding. <laughs> Those are the Well, options. but wasn't the Red Wedding in part because of this? Like, because Rob wouldn't have needed to cross there if he could have had Balon's fleet. Like he would not oh, have needed point. there. He, am, am I right here? Like no, that that betrothal has already been arranged. Okay, but he doesn't have to go back to the phrase, yeah. right? But he goes back because he needs something else from them, right? And he wouldn't have needed that something else if Theon right. and the Greyjoys hadn't betrayed him. Point. I think you're right. I I don't know. Maybe maybe if Theon takes Casterly Rock. Maybe they don't have to go back to the phrase at all, and then right. the red wedding doesn't happen. Yeah, I do think well, though that there's. Well, I want to give you guys both a chance to answer. So, John, what was your answer? All right, here's how I'm going to think about it: is if you have two friends and they don't like each other, and one of them says you can only be friends with me or them, then you pick the one who didn't give you the ultimatum, right? Yeah, but one of these is your father, who you haven't seen in mm. ten years, who just backhanded you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He's not a warm father. I don't think they have a good relationship. Like how well All the does descriptions Theon know of him? of Theon returning to um to Pike, you know, it's like moldy and it's wet and it's cold and it's damp and it's a brutal place. Yeah. Or at least, you know, Winterfell, okay, it's in the north, but it's not this. He says there's a fire in the right, heart. Exactly. Here, fell, his know? room wasn't even like. They put him in a room that no one's been in in 20 years. I mean, exactly. It, it's it's pretty bad. There, there's no warm welcome at all. But at the end of the day, don't you have to, in this world where yeah, lineage yep. is everything, where bloodlines are everything, don't you have to kind of say, sorry, Rob, I got to I got to do what my dad says. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard for me to put myself in that headspace because we don't live in that world, right? Yeah. Where where lineage is everything. So John Punts, I think, what about you, um, David? I think as Theon, right, I would have to double down. Yeah. And I would have to, you know, take up the the drowned god and the what did Aaron say about the um the comet, you know, like this is the firebrand of our god, you know, which is yeah, an yeah, interesting yeah. point because uh-huh. everybody's got their own interpretation of this bloody comet, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we got two more interpretations <laughs> exactly. of this show. So I think, you know, if you're Theon and you've got these ambitions and you want to be the heir to Pike, um, you've got to be more of a reaver than any reaver ever reaved, right? You've got to be uh, and he try yeah. and Theon does try, I would I would say, but he's just so bad at it. <laughs> you know. And he gets morally conflicted, I think, if I remember correctly. I think so. Yeah. I when think he goes so. to try to dispose of the kid, right, cuz he ends up Burning a couple of fake bodies or whatever to to make people think that he killed Rickon and Bran. So you would double down and kind of say, I, I'm the new Lord Reaper. I'm going to start yeah. acting like If Lord I'm Theon, Reaper. that's what I got to do. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, my ambition is outside. What would if happen if My ambition he... is outsized. Of, you know, my appetite is bigger than my, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm.
Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-run movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk podcast where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is rewarding to itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. try to make it super easy to support making podcasts at Bald Move. Just join the club. But some people aren't a joining type, or maybe they're already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage, or for a podcast that really spoke to them, or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these, and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. Okay, let me just run in a hypothetical at you. Theon has got a, a dagger and a sword on his hip, walks in the room, they're alone. He realizes his dad is this frail old bitter man what would be the consequences if he just killed him patricide mm. what would be the consequence i don't know that his uncle or his sister would accept it i accept him as the new ruler isn't that what euron does though i mean euron walks in throws him off a bridge 
says, I killed him. I'm the Lord. But now. I think Euron has got... <laughs> I mean, he it can, works but for he Euron, can back right? it up, right? Like, he's actually got the... Yeah. Not, not that I wouldn't put it past Theon to, to employ some sort of stratagem like that, but he just doesn't have... He doesn't have the, the network. The network, nor that salt toughness. Yeah, you know, of yeah, yeah. of of being on the high seas and you know and reaving. Yeah, and... he would probably be like, "You're the wolf's assassin." I mean, right. that basically, that would. He's in an impossible position, and yeah. and Martin is just brilliant at creating these impossible decisions for people like this. Yeah, certainly that is one of his best parts, and uh, another one of the brilliant things, which I think we've alluded to a lot of times during this episode, is just the way that he makes you hate a character <laughs> so much and want mm-hmm. and you want them mm-hmm. to get justice and then they do and then you're like oh not like that and then you and then you want them to you you sort of uh-huh. root for them by the end of it i mean that's that's really like if i'm going to pick the highlight of martin's writing that's yeah to take me. someone who pushed a kid out the window and then kind of make him into the hero yeah, you know that's it's a good like point. how, how right. what kind of voodoo Very are you hard. playing with here martin um uh, anything else about this chapter that you noted that you'd like to call out? Yeah, I, I had this one quote that I, I enjoyed when I was reading uh, this chapter. And just, you know, okay, so, you know, gross old man stuff aside um, and master manipulator, right, of, of plot lines too. He can write, like the man can string some sentences together. And this, yeah, this, he really can. This, um, jumped out at me. This is a description uh, that, you know, as Theon is on the boat and they're approaching Pike, he says, um, the point of land on which the Greyjoys had raised their fortress had once thrust like a sword into the bowels of the ocean, but the waves had hammered at it day and night until the land broke and shattered. Thousands of years passed. All that remained were three bare and barren islands and a dozen towering stacks of rocks that rose from the water like pillars of some sea god's temple while the angry waves foamed and crashed among them. Like, hmm. I have such a vivid picture in my mind of these <laughs> islands. It's just like brilliant. Really, really enjoyed that. Really great. Thrust like a sword, you know, like, oh, like really, like there's so much yeah. a- um, action and emotion and, and history built into this very and very economical. It's a very economical two sentences. Did you guys have you guys been uh do you guys ever follow Martin's not a blog? I do not. I am on Reddit and then I see somebody post that he says, Yeah, I'm still writing it, and then that's, <laughs> that's all I see. About a month ago he posted this mention of Casterly Rock. At one point, Theon and Balon are debating whether or not he could actually take Casterly Rock if he if he like he's like no one's ever taken the rock. And, and Theon basically retorts, he says, until now. And he's, you know, he's got a gleam in his eye. Martin posted this thing about what Casterly Rock is actually like. It's like a mountain. It's like the prudential uh logo. Uh-huh. It's basically this this giant solid rock of a mountain and they've built the castle in the interior of the mountain. Wow. There's like, you know, 20 feet of solid rock around every wall of the keep basically. And it goes up a lot higher than the keep and there's a little a bit that that is on on the very top, but that's just for, you know, military purposes. 
that you really get the sense that this place is impenetrable. And so I think Balon has the right of it when he says, your plan is foolish. You you think that you're just going to waltz in and take Casterly Rock. No one's ever done that. Mm. And I think the implication is that place will never be sieged. I think that Martin posted this image to like an artist's rendering of of Casterly Rock, and it it looks totally different than than anything I'd ever imagined. I'm looking at one right now, and it's um, from the wiki of Ice and Fire, and it almost looks lion-like with a couple of paw mm. protrusions sticking out. So yeah. Oh, that that would make sense. Yeah. So the the actual the, the natural mountain. Yes. Yeah. Like there's yeah, a couple that, of that pieces would, of rock that, would, that uh, stick out. That'd be a nice little detail. Yeah. For sure. Um, I think we talked about the departures from the book, the the show departures from the book already, uh, in terms of the the Asha Yarik character, but. Were there any other notable differences that you saw here? Not notable. Um, I think in the book, he goes to his rooms and changes. And I think in the show, he goes straight into the solar. And then Yara yeah, joins that's him. Right. So, but to me, the variances in the show all work really well. They move the plot along for the pacing. They introduce the right characters. I, I mm-hmm. like that the uncle is added later because that gives him more dramatic import. Um, and then they set up Yara and Theon's um, mm-hmm, rivalry mm-hmm. right from the start. And so that mm-hmm. increases the stakes for Theon. So I thought all the, the very, the differences here worked well for the show. Mm-hmm. The name change was a very good idea too, because otherwise Osha and Asha, that was yeah, going to be a mess. That's a good point. I will note that, you know, with, Theon kind of asking around about all the people that he remembered and finding out they're they're all dead. You know, where where's the you know where's this person? Where's that person? Oh, they're dead. That person was swallowed by the sea. That person has been dead for a long time. It really does give you the sense that like you know, it's like he doesn't know anyone here. You know, his 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 uncles changed dramatically you know his father is seems smaller and more withered than he was before this this is like the worst homecoming in the history of homecomings yeah it's and it sets up the whole sort of tragedy i guess um nicely because there's there's no warmth here and it's just going to go it's going to get worse Mm. from here it shatters theon in such a way that he grabs onto the first rock he finds right the first raft oh, he yeah. can find point. is what he grabs onto, and that's what Balon offers him. He says, "Hey, I'll I'll take you up. I'll uh, I'll raise you up, and you can go fight for me, and you can go take Winterfell, and we'll have yeah. a great time together." Yeah, yeah, it really does deconstruct him, right? I mean yeah. he he starts this chapter. What is it? Everyone's got a different interpretation of the comet. What does Theon say? He says, that's my comet. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is the most I'm a arrogant, made man. This is the most arrogant son of a bitch ever. Everyone else is like attributing the comet to like the gods or a sign or maybe it means war. Theon is just like, yep, it's mine. <laughs> and by the end of the chapter, he's totally deconstructed. That's a good point. I think that that's a really good way to frame what's happened to him. Again, he's a made man, and then he goes, oh, yeah. shit. Yep. And that's basically the chapter. <laughs> Notable departures. Uh, well, we meet the captain and the captain's daughter. We also see the departure of the letter. You know, the, the letter that Theon is holding 
He just thinks that this is my ticket yeah, yeah. to the throne. And he just sees it like cast aside like refuse into the <laughs> burn up in the hearth. Burned burned along with the um necklace. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The the uh the whorish necklace. It's all gone in a snap for for poor Theon. Guys, thank you so much for jumping on the pod. And uh we should absolutely connect again in some capacity yeah our sure. our conversation around andor was really fun i i thought that was a great way for us to end the season and yeah i i look forward to the next time we get to you know you should come on the Sil- silmarillion stories uh um, well, i'd love i'd love to do that what do you guys got going in terms if people want to search for you what's the podcast called and uh what shows are you covering these days um yeah so you can find us we've got we set up a new website thelorehounds.com and that's got all of our our stuff there and you cool. can just feed you know find us on on the your podcast app of choice by searching the lorehounds right now we are covering um the last of us mm. and uh that is coming to a conclusion about the time that this comes out so hopefully fingers crossed we will have had an excellent season so, so far so for people who need a show to binge watch if they're not already watching uh, HBO Max, The Last of Us, and then of course your companion pod of which should the Lorehounds. Yes, very cool. And we've All got right, a ton um, of other stuff in 2023 television wise going. We're waiting for Wheel of Time, and we've got some Star Wars stuff. So yeah, we've got a lot going on actually. So uh, search the Lorehounds. Be sure to subscribe rate and review i'm sure that they would appreciate all of those things it's hard to tell it's it's hard to describe to people how grateful we podcasters are when they subscribe rate and review (laughs) Mm -hmm. it really does does. if you actually tangibly want to help there's no better way to do that than subscribe rate and review folks uh thank you so much thank you yeah thank you for having us this is awesome And now Throwback Thursday with comic Steve Osborne. Speaking of Ted Danson, does his career have nearly the impact it does if he is Theodore Danson? I think his career goes a much different direction. I think he's a film actor. Well, I mean, don't don't sleep on uh, three men and a baby, three men and a little lady. Uh, Yeah, but I think he, I think if he's Theodore... I think he gets cast as Superman, and we never know Christopher Reeve. Oh wow, that's yeah. that's a big move. Yeah, Christopher We'd... Reeve is is in Cheers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's quite the swap. Yeah, I would I would go with that. That that's not a bad swap. I would. I would... It's not. It's a reasonable swap. I definitely think that the Christopher Reeve as Sam Malone probably is a better swap than the. Than Theodore Danson as the. Man I see Christopher. I buy him better as a major league relief pitcher than I do. Yeah, I could see that. See, I feel like Christopher Reeve could have played every character in Cheers, including Carla. I'd be willing to watch that. <laughs> Somebody what? please deep fake an episode yes. where Christopher Reeve says everyone, <laughs> except Lilith, for some reason. <laughs>